Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here today with an exciting repeat guest in Jacqueline Foster. So for those of you who have been um, long-term law firm growth heads, Jacqueline was on for the first time back in June of 2020. It's been an exciting couple of years for her, for sure. I'm really, really excited to dig into the meat, but um, fantastic progress, which wouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who listened to the episode. But thank you for coming back, Jacqueline. Absolutely, on. I'm so excited to be back here, and it's nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm glad to be there at the beginning too. But um, yeah, let's uh, let's catch up a little bit. So I think I was doing a little bit of review on our original podcast uh, in prep for this one, and at the time, Jacqueline Foster Paralegal Services we were doing a bunch of different 1099 stuff. It was a fantastic service at the time, but seems like you've been making a ton of progress since then. So could you uh, catch us up a little bit on what you've been up to for the last couple of years? Absolutely. So just real briefly, when we first met, I was merging from being an independent contractor for law firms all over the country to starting my own business. We blew up in COVID, uh, you know, with the pandemic hitting, we were just inundated quickly with clients needing support while paralegals were furloughed or laid off due to closures and stay-at-home orders. So we, we took off really quickly during the pandemic. And as the years have evolved, our 1099 staffing is still very much a solid service that we have within our company. We never gave that up. It's definitely still a strong need, but it's getting away a little bit from the pandemic panic of it and looking at using it more of a strategy for continued growth within a law firm. And as we continue to implement that with our clients, it's kind of like an estate planning attorney that has a, does a lot of trusts for their clients. And then their clientele starts passing away and becoming trust admin work. And then they merge their practice into more of the administrative side. Likewise, in our business, our clients were finding the ability to attract more clientele because they had the senior level paralegal support to back them that they have so much work now. They're like, I'm ready for that full-time employee. So naturally, as we've grown relationships with our clients over the years, we're the ones to fill that full-time employee position, even though you know the traditional legal recruiting was never something I intended when I started the business. So over this last year as that's been evolving, we have now completely rebranded into Dell Trust Legal Recruiting and Staffing, where we're looking at the entire picture of a law firm staffing needs from in between growth phases from a solo attorney. And we have clients that are mid and large size firms and focusing not only on the talent acquisition, but also on the employer branding, the retention strategy, and really creating a department within the law firm that focuses exclusively on the people. So that's fantastic. And it's also an example of like one of my favorite things that I like see in business is when you have one of my favorite quotes ever is new levels, new devils. And you, you guys were able to have a situation where you created a new problem for the client. But the corollary of new levels, new devils for me is that the more problems that you solve, the more lucrative they get. So you guys are now in a position where you've moved up the chain, you're helping people solve bigger problems with more potentially, you know, higher revenue consequences, which is fantastic. You absolutely love to see. But also as far as the stuff like outside, 
side of uh, the personal growth of, of the business, I feel like we're in a different place than we were back in 2020. So, you know, we had a pretty big crunch as far as talent. What's changed in, you know, law firms' openness to working remote, that kind of thing, the market itself in those last couple of years? I know it's been pretty crazy. It has been crazy. But truthfully, from my experience, what I'm finding is it's a balance right now. You still have your remote positions. A lot of law firms jumped on the idea of running a completely remote practice, especially the ones that can, and they have been able to keep their people home and they find that it's financially more feasible to keep their people home. So there's still, we have a good, healthy balance of hybrid positions, remote positions, as well as fully on site. And I'm finding to a lot of these professionals that are job searching, the big hype of staying at home is settling down because they're learning it is not for everyone. Everybody thought it'd be great working with pajamas and slippers all day, work from home. And then all of a sudden isolation kicked in and they realized like, I need to get back in the office. So on both ends, the employer and the, the candidates out there, people looking for positions, it's a good balance between the remote and in office. Okay. Interesting. So it's like, we might've had a bit of an overvalue of how how strong remote was, but things are sort of starting to normalize at this point, which is, uh, which is interesting. Okay, cool. So big shift in terms of the responsibilities and what you're able to like, you know, increase this relationship with the law firm. I'm sure you've had some pretty fantastic learnings and, you know, probably adventures, misadventures and getting these people placed, right? So what, what are the things that you've learned in the last couple of years, as far as getting these hires to stick? So the biggest thing, and I think was what we're going to segue into is what I like to coin the RP effect. That is how we get people to stick. It isn't a singular focus on find the person with the longest job history or, you know, staying in one position for a long period of time, find the person that has the lateral skills to move over that this work is just going to be up their alley and they won't leave. Give them unlimited PTO, give them incredible benefits, let them work from home, let them come into the office. Law firms have been fighting tooth and nail at trying to retain employees and they're still leaving. And it's because they're not focusing on the entire picture again, which is called the RP effect. It's aligning the right people around the right priorities with the right processes that will enable predictable and sustainable growth with your employees. And so it's aligning all three of those things, which includes the person you're looking at, the processes and how you bring them in there and why you're actually bringing them into the firm in the first place. So they have a fit from day one. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I have a lot of conversations just with other business owners, friends, clients, stuff like that, too. And, and one of the things I, I kind of resent is like this cult of the A player, right? People are like, oh, yeah, I just need an A player and everything's going to work out. But, you know, I, I think it's a lot like if you have a situation where, I don't know, you need to get like a kidney replaced or something like that. You could have a perfect kidney, but you know, if you've got, you know, hardcore diabetes, and you've been smoking cigarettes for 50 years, the body's going to reject it. It's not only the person that has to fit, it's also the situation that the person's going to be going into. But right. that actually, I think that probably fits in the model pretty well. But let's get started with, uh, you know, we can work through those those three RPs. What do people have to start considering when it comes to the right people? I know we had a couple examples of what people usually look for, but what have you found actually makes a difference if, if there's anything counterintuitive? So, and I know this is silly, but it just rhymed correctly when I put people first. <laughs> so we actually have to flip that on its side and focus on the processes first before we even make a hiring decision. As business owners, we might think that we know exactly where that hire needs to be. An attorney might say, I need an associate because I need more, more attorneys going to court. I need more fee earners. I need more people that can bring in more business. They might think, oh, I need a paralegal because I need help with some drafting. But if we don't have a very definitive, we're not able to look in the data of our law firm, our detailed case flows, the template that we have, the procedures, how we're docketing and scheduling.
scheduling. How behind are we? How messy is our law firm right now where we won't ever be able to identify who is supposed to come in at that time? Processes is also, and we'll talk about this at the end, but processes is also going to talk about our hiring process, our onboarding process, and how we're attracting the right people to our firm, even when we're not hiring. So it's the processes of the law firm is going to give us the most intel on who that right person is going to be. So once we move through that processes stage and see, okay, we have solid templates, we can hire somebody with a little less experience in this budget because we have these plug and play templates, or we have this easy type of work that we need. We need to offload the subpoenas. We need to offload the deposition summaries. Whatever that may look like, we can identify what level of professional we need. And then really focusing in on the priority. So once we bring this person in, not many business owners actually answer this question for themselves. What is the intended waterfall effect of this person? Is it to be able to bring in more business? Is it just to manage the hellfire that is our current caseload? Is it to be able to promote somebody else into a bigger role? What is the priority of this person coming in, which is again, going to feed into who that right person is looking at our bottlenecks, who's the most bogged down, who's ready to quit because they're leaving the office with bloodshot eyes, and they feel like they're getting nowhere, uh, feel like they're not developing their career because they're too inundated with backlog of junk work that it, it's actually not even what they're supposed to be doing because we're understaffed. Also looking at the return on investment we want from the from the candidate comes into the priority where we're looking at do we need to um, be able to get more billables out? Are we trying to increase our bottom line so that we can stabilize at that bottom line to then afford that mid-level attorney or that associate and the balance of all of that? And it's 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 almost so simple, it's complicated because there's so many compartments that then once we get to the people, it's actually quite simple when we're looking at, okay, we know what level of professional we need for the work volume we have. We know we're super inundated in work. We need a solid person that knows how to come in and manage it all, do the case management. Maybe they carry those types of uh, skill sets. And then also going back to the processes on our employer brand and who we are as a company, who we want to be and how we want our team to operate and collaborate together. What soft skills are we looking for? People focus so much on hard skills that they forget about the soft skills. You can have the smartest person in the world that actually has like zero communication skills or does not play nice with others. <laughs> Who are we really looking for? And what are their career objectives, which will be something that's important when we're looking on that waterfall effect? Do we want somebody to grow in the company? Do we want the career receptionist? Do we want somebody that never wants to make partner and just wants to stay here and just earn a paycheck and go home? So how it fully cycles, and then we're just continuously rolling through that. Okay, there's a lot to go after on that, but I love all of it. <laughs> Sorry about that. I did kind of go through everything all at once, but it, it's hard not to when you're trying to do the step, step. It's really interconnected too. And like one of the things that kind of came to mind is, you know, this reminds me a lot, a lot of stuff in the marketing context. We have a lot of situations where I feel like this is the analog. So you have the person who just goes, I need help. But also, you know, on the marketing side, I'd be like, I need more business. But one of the things we always try to do first with any marketing deployment is we want to get analytics set up. We got to see what's actually coming in. And, you know, there's obviously a range from people who have that super dialed in you just you know hey look here's the file here's a login check it out to people just like i don't even know what you're talking about but at the same time going through all this stuff is obviously extremely valuable because you know i also say this going back to the a players thing it's like i feel like there's almost an a player tax when people don't appropriately size the level of work that they need to have and they just think throwing somebody brilliant
point at the problem is going to work. And again, like we said before, not does that person doesn't always stick, but um, you could have a situation where you're not only overpaying, but that person's understimulated. That's probably going to lead to them leaving like all kinds of different things. So getting to when you're kind of parachuting into this and trying to figure out where the, the state of the union is, what are some of the first things that you look at when you're talking with a firm and, and where are you trying to look to see where they're at from a process perspective and how ready they are for a new hire? The first thing I'll do is use some of my handy tools that I have at my dispense uh, through mainly LinkedIn, actually, to look at their retention rate. A lot of my clients will skimp around that and say, yeah, we have we have pretty good retention. And I'm like, okay, according to LinkedIn, who tracks, who works for who as they change, you've gone up and down like this all year. So where are we hiring? Who are we hiring? And for what is kind of that first question. And then it's just peeling the onion. It, and it depends. That's why it's not a super easy question to answer because it depends. Like my solo attorney that has maybe one legal assistant, it's pretty much a no-brainer. They need solid paralegal support right now. But to identify what types of that, you know, what level, what caliber, how many hours a week is going to give them just enough to not blow up their budget and, but enough to free them to go attract more clientele, to get themselves out there, to turn their marketing back on. And then the mid-sized firm is looking at the bigger picture of everybody involved in their little intricacies and who's in what department and really truly actually getting down to doing what I like is a brand audit, an employer brand audit and looking at how their actual staffing is going from the market's perspective. So we can really start to, to peel that onion and, and figure that out. Now, a lot of the times my clients will reach out and say, this is what we know that we need to hire. And normally I agree with them if they can talk that through. It's just then drafting that job description and asking really, okay, so where is your case management bottlenecked? Like pull up your case management system, where are the most red lines? And they'll sort of start to tell me and sometimes we'll identify, hey, no, this is all admin work. Like you can be hiring somebody at 20% less to do this admin work. So it really just depends on the firm and where they're coming, where they're at in their stage of business when they come to us. Okay, that's awesome though, because you can actually see this in a lot of the practice management software. I'm sure you saw them at this point too, but that's that's cool that there's actually a way to do. And it's the same thing, you know, we get on the marketing side as well too. People think they want something, but it's actually going through it, it's something else entirely when they actually get down to brass tacks. My next question is about the intentionality. What do you do when you find somebody who doesn't really know why they need to hire somebody or they don't know what that waterfall looks like? How do you help people get clarity on what it is that their business actually needs? Sure. So if they don't have a case management system, and I am all about simplicity, I will usually have my solo attorneys take one week to write down everything they do in a given week. Keep your legal pad by your computer and write down every little task, the point ones, the point twos, or print off your billable sheets for me and take a look at it. Because then I, you know, I have paralegal experience. That was, I did that for eight years of my career. I can pull apart everything they're doing within their office and start saying, these are the common themes that are actually taking up the majority of your time, even though they're like the point ones, the point twos, and you're an attorney, the best way to make money as an attorney is to bill your attorney rate. So we want to make sure that we're always keeping you in the attorney zone and doing the things that only an attorney can do. So then we'll, we'll start to digest. And, and sometimes as we'll see, the attorney maybe then through us has a couple of paralegals or a couple of assistants, they will start to have too much attorney work. And then it's like, hey, good news, you're ready for an associate. Because truly, you have too much attorney work, not senior level paralegal work, not admin work, an attorney. So really, it's again, it goes back to that data. You don't know what you don't write down. 
down or record somewhere. Again, we might think we know what we do on a daily basis, but we truly don't until we write it down. Yeah, and- it's it's reminding me of this stat that I, I think I read from Cleo is like the average amount of actual billable hours that a solo had was like, I think like 15 or something like out of the entire week. And it just, yeah. Do you ever read 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall? No. It's a really good book, but like um, this concept is everywhere. It's like he talks about different hourly rates that people have. And it's like, you know, your most highest, best use of your time when you're in the CEO zone, it's like, that's when you're doing your managing partners on that could be 10,000 hour work. But, you know, at least every attorney listening to this podcast has billable probably 250 to 800 and leveling up the average is how you end up getting that, you know, average for the, especially at the solo stage. But um, I actually wanted to, to kind of dig a little bit too, because you mentioned something really, really interesting to me. And you mentioned doing an ROI analysis for a hire. So how do you start approaching that? Because I mean, sometimes we have a hard time calculating ROI for a marketing expense, but like, how do you get to the, to get those into numbers when it comes to getting a hire on So it's very easy to do with our 1099 because there's no hidden costs with 1099 like there is with a W-2. The... 1090. Well, let me back up. You can have it with a W-2 if you're a, if you're really a stickler about time tracking. Some of my most profitable firms, most successful firms have their people also track non-billable time so that they can actually be in the data about where this hire is, at, how much money is this hire actually bringing into the business. A lot of my firms actually do bonus incentives for paralegals. You know, instead of just saying you have to bill 1,800 hours um, a year to keep your job, bill 1,800 hours and you're getting bonuses. So through that, they're really tracking their time. So from an ROI standpoint, when we look at bringing in a contractor, we can say, okay, the firm bills out at $125 an hour for a paralegal, just to throw out a number. The contractor costs 50 bucks per hour. Per hour, I know that they're just doing senior level paralegal work because I work with Jacqueline and she told me not to have them do admin non-billable work because they're too expensive to be doing that, that they can then see you know, what that contractor has been able to bring in. Further, we can compare year over year or quarter over quarter, once you bring that new hire in, what was the attorney's billable? And I know it can get sticky and we have to start looking at our seasonalities and when when our firms are the busiest because we have these ups and downs. But when we look at how the attorney has been able to bill out more of their hourly rate at 240, 400, wherever you are located, they can now see like, okay, this paralegal, after bringing them in, I've been able to increase my billables by 25%, which includes this much, plus the paralegal's time at this much. This paralegal, although cost me this, is giving me a return on that investment of this margin. When we're looking at W-2 employees, the only way to truly know that is to have tracking on everything. Uh, We know, and I can't even remember off the top of my head what the productivity, I think I want to say on an eight-hour day, it's more like two hours of productive time for employees, which is, I think that that statistic needs to be changed because somebody's doing something wrong to make that the average productivity time. So we really have to kind of look at what what they're doing and leveraging that case management system. And here's a trick, a tip for a out there that are scared to tell their employees to start billing literally everything or tracking everything that they do, tell them it's so that you can be mindful that they're not overloaded and inundated with admin work or work that is beneath their, you know, what they were hired to do that you're just trying to keep track of when you need to bring someone in so they never get overloaded. That's a fantastic tip. (laughs) 
Yeah, because it's you know I can understand like people being worried about the Big Brother thing, but it's kind of interesting because the 1099 and that, that you know that coming from your base, it, it's almost like you were forced to be able to answer for every billable hour that happened at the 1099 level. So it's like you know kind of like direct response marketing, you have to really account for every single thing. But it's a lens that you can use to view the entire firm, and I feel like there's not enough people out there that are really considering the costs, whether it's hard costs or the opportunity costs of them doing stuff that they probably shouldn't be. And it seems like, you know, kind of reading between the lines in a lot of these stories, Jacqueline, like the clients that have been working with you have had absolutely no problem finding more work to fill once they end up doing it. Can you talk to that a little bit? Like, how do you think it's been that so many people have been able to so easily increase their billings once they have the bandwidth? Yes, I think there's a subconscious block when you know as the attorney that you don't have the adequate support. It's not even about the volume of support you have, but the quality of it. And you bring somebody into your law firm, maybe a target associate that has zero legal experience, but that's just what you could afford. That's not going to solve your problem as a business owner. It might take some admin work off of you. They can answer some phones, do some faxing, emails, filing. But as the attorney who is looking to bring in more business. You have to know you're supported behind you to, to confidently bring that business in. And I've had marketing agencies love to have me on their podcast because I can always advocate for the marketing agency that you're not doing anything for your marketing if you're turning it on, shutting it off, turning it on, shutting it off. So when you know you have that adequate support, you can tell your marketing agency, keep running, keep bringing people in, keep the ads going, they're targeted, they're working, and you can keep bringing that work in and knowing you have the adequate support support behind you to do it. And when, again, when I say adequate, it's not necessarily volume. It's a senior paralegal that can draft a demand that you have to review. And it's very little tweaks, a trust that is very little tweaks needing to be done. So it actually takes time off of your work. And I hope I'm answering your question. I have a, a habit of going down rabbit holes sometimes with myself. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's, that's I mean, the main thing. Yeah, because it's it's kind of funny. And like, I've talked about this before, like just on the podcast or talking with other people, because I feel like there's like a lot of talk about, oh, hey, if you take these 20 hours that you were doing shuffling papers around, you got to a couple more coffee meetings and you could channel that into generating revenue. And that's like kind of easy and it's super legible. But what you're pointing out here, I think is super powerful. It's like, I get the feeling that people might be pulling their punches on how hard they're leaning into what it is, because on some level, they're afraid of what's going to happen if it works out, right? Because then they're just like, okay, well, I'm going to be up to working until 10pm and working weekends and stuff like that. Or God forbid, I've got somebody, but the trust isn't there 100%. And I'm going to be doing the same thing, except for paying someone and fixing their mistakes, right? So it's like the trust has to be there before I mean, you need to have good defense before you can really play offense. Right. And then too, it's just you, when you do that, you're also creating horrible ebb and flows in your business where eventually all that work's going to be done, especially in transactional. I mean, litigation, we know can drag on for years, but you bring in these clients and you're like, whoa, 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 I can't take any more. I'm like, I'm going to push all my new consults two, three months out, but then two, three months out comes and you have no work, nothing going out the door and you're, you're playing scramble to bring them back in. So the kind of full circling this, the idea of the 1099, when I I built that business from scratch in that space was to prevent lawyers from having to do that, to having to shut their marketing off, to have to play this like touch and go game with their business growth and to be able to actually sustain each part of it and, and grow in a consistent level until they do get to the point of like ready for that full-time employee. And then sometimes they get that full-time employee and they're contacting me three, four months later. Hey, I need another 1099 because we're growing again. Uh, and then that 1099 is going to build them up again until they can get the second hire. So it's really that 
that cycle. But, and again, going back to making sure you have the right people in place, looking at your processes, priorities, who you need in the space so that they don't leave you in five months is also the the kicker and what gives me job security. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get back into that to the process stuff. So one of the things that we, an open thread I wanted to get back to was this employer brand. So let's talk about that a little bit more. What do you mean when you say that? Yeah. So the employer brand is very similar to, you know, you hear business brand, company brand, personal brand. The employer brand is who your company is from a potential employee's standpoint in the market. So, and unfortunately, whether or not you think you have an employer brand, you do. If you're not managing it, it's managing itself. If there's no employer brand, there's no employer brand, which is a brand in its own. And 75% of candidates, I just confirmed the statistic with LinkedIn again today. I got another article about it. 75% of candidates out there are seeking companies that actively manage their employer brand. Why they feel that way is they realize that if this company cares so much about the candidate experience and what they're perceiving, they obviously want to bring the right people into their firm because they've invested the time, the resources into building this. So it goes everywhere from the alignment of your policies with your values. Okay, you really value community outreach, community service. Are you actually affording your your employees the time to go do community service? Uh, You say you value family. Are you offering lucrative PTO or flexible time off to make sure you're not missing a t-ball game or a a soccer game. It's focusing on your current employees before you're focusing on who you're bringing in as well, which has a natural waterfall effect of good reviews on on Glassdoor, on Indeed, on LinkedIn. Um, You're focusing on their both personal and career growth and actually having a process in place that demonstrates that and keeps it consistent. How are we actually helping each person on an individual level grow in their career? You're also creating your employer value proposition, which is so important to have. Now, this is how you are. It's almost just like your your client value proposition, what you're trying to sell your clients. It's the same thing on the employee side of things. It's super important and it has to go beyond salary. What is this candidate, this new employee going to receive in exchange for their skills and their hard work beyond salary? What are you going to provide them? Is it flexibility? Is it career development? Is it job security? Is it all the above? So that that's the next one. And most companies do not have an employer value proposition. Then we're going to be also developing a positive hiring process. You will get horrible reviews on Glassdoor, which a lot of people don't even look if you have a bad hiring process. Gone are the days of making them go through six personality screenings, three aptitude assessments, four interviews. You can't do that anymore. It is still very much an employee market. It's cooling down, but they still have the upper hand. And we want to make sure that everybody that's interacting with our law firm is having a positive experience, whether or not they're hired, because you never know six years from now, they can gain all the experience you want, and they still want to try to work for your company. It's the meaningful onboarding. Don't just put them in a, in a seat, throw a binder on their on their desk and say, read through this and, and memorize all the ways we do things. It's making sure they're meeting the team. It's making sure that they're having good conversations in the first couple of weeks of their employment there, creating a growth plan for them right away. The moment they come into the law firm, make sure they get excited about where they can can go with this company. And then taking all of that and leveraging social media to demonstrate it. Don't just be posting 
you know, congratulations on your promotion posts or, hey, we hired a new person post. Like get a little bit amateur about it and even let your your own employees take behind the scenes. I just saw one today where during a team lunch, they were playing Uno and it was a selfie. And it's like, that's an employer brand. That is somebody who's seeing like, this is what it's like to work for this firm. You know, luncheons out in the community, ask your employees if they'd be willing to give a video testimonial that you can highlight on a careers page. And here's the beauty of an employee brand. The more you build it, the more obsolete I am as a recruiter is going to become because what you're doing is you're building your own talent pipeline where you have a careers page and a database. Just like I have a database for all my 1099 paralegals that want to work for me, I can go through my database. I have all these candidates interested already, qualified, organized. You have a careers page and someone's like, I really want to work for XYZ company. I'm going to give them my information, follow up with them, and I hope they reach out to me because this looks like an awesome place to work. You're going to build that database. You're not going to ever need recruiters again, which yes, it can be expensive. <laughs> Speaking out of your own interests, I got to say, respect on yeah. that. <laughs> but right. it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, some, again, some of the people that, you know, mentors of mine, it's just like uh, the necessity to constantly be recruiting is such an important thing because, you know, past a certain point, the hires are really what pushes a firm past the seven figure level. And we had recent guests on the on the podcast, Louis Scott, eight figure firm. He says, look, man, after seven figures, it is all about the people that you're bringing on. And it's kind of a big picture thing. I mean, a lot of the times it could be sexier to go out there and try to get more clients. But at the end of the day, what's really going to be building the foundation for where's going to be that where's the company going to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line. Now, follow on question for that. Where do you think the responsibility for this kind of activity should lie? Is this something that comes from the top down? Is that something like with the hiring manager? Like who who should really own this within the law firms or who's done it with the law firms that are doing this successfully? Who's usually owning this, this responsibility? So some bigger firms will actually go as far as hiring an employer branding specialist, somebody, or they call them like the chief of people officer or somebody that just focuses on the firm's people, the culture, employee happiness, success, that they'll also do that simultaneously. If you're a solo attorney, it's going to be on you or you can partner with somebody to help you develop an employer brand, give you guidance, push you forward, I maybe even help you get content started. If you're a mid-sized firm, you know, say you have a few locations, even I, I would say if you had an executive director, a director of operations an HR department, it just depends. Like law firms are not always structured like kosherly, like how you would expect an organization to be structured. Like we have the HR department, we have the this department, we have the marketing department. It never seems to be that easy <laughs> with law firms. Um, so it really depends on who you have staffed in your firm to be able to take it over. Yeah, that's super interesting. And yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that. It's just, I think kind of the the necessity for someone to have a JD to own part of the firm is just created one interesting situation in the last uh, 150 years or so. But hey, anyways, it's it's fun. We love it. Okay, so kind of circling back, I know we have taken a bit of a meandering route, but people priorities process. Is there anything that we've missed out big time in terms of those three things uh, that we haven't covered so far? No, I think we covered it all except for just tying it into the end of it. Like what's the point of the RP effect? What's the point of focusing on people, processes, priorities all together is to enable predictable growth. It's predictable and sustainable growth. It, it's no good to attract a ton of business into your company if you have no way to sustain it, if you have no way to manage it. So focusing on that is an absolute requisite to growth. Uh, you have to, you nailed it. I mean, seven figures and above is definitely all people, but even the, I'm actually feeling this more and more. I was a 
solo show for a long time and we've reached, you know, we're getting closer and closer up the ladder and it's, it's people in my business too. And it makes or breaks a, a company. It truly does. Yeah. And I gotta say too, I was thinking about mentioning this, but it's, you know, I call this sometimes like a dog chasing the car effect. Everyone's like, yeah, I want to hit that 50 K month. I want to hit that hundred K month. And people don't realize that. I mean, I've seen it happen under our watch a lot of times. It's like, I mean, not that many times, but when we've hit, uh, seen people break their revenue, sometimes it sticks. Sometimes it will cause a terrible couple months for the person involved. Because if, if you push to hit that frontier and you're not building up the infrastructure behind it, you're going to see all that come back. And then guess who's going to be holding the bag at the end of the day? It's the person who didn't get their house in order before they did that and didn't get the staff in place to do it. But that's really what cements the growth. And I'll also say this too, for anyone who's you know worried about profit and that kind of thing, it really has the opposite effect. I think when you start bringing on more people, and like we we're saying at the earlier part of the podcast, when you can really trust to push that farther, it really really changes the universe of options that you see available to you and you'll figure out ways to make more money. And that's just really, that's, that is the block and tackle of scaling a law firm, get more business, get more people to fulfill, then get more business, rinse, lather, repeat. It's not rocket science. <laughs> no, it isn't. And it, I mean, and it, I think it's really hard in the very early stages, you know, baby business is brand new because it's hard to find that right time to hire. And that again, goes back to the, why we have the 1099s, but it, it really is. And you know how good it makes you feel as a business owner to confidently have that consultation and not have anything in the back of your head being like, I don't think I'm going to be able to perform for this client to my best of abilities. And I, but I have to take them in. I need this money. How good it feels to say like I, with full confidence, know we're going to give you the absolute top service you possibly could expect because I have a really good team. So it is, it's just, it's imperative to running and growing a business. And I think that is a perfect place to put a bow on this conversation. Jacqueline, it's been awesome again. As far as anyone who's interested in getting your world, what's the best way to uh, take a next step? Yeah, so I really think that I would love all your listeners to take advantage of my recent and new exciting offer, which is to let me do a free employer branding audit. I love to help all my clients, whether or not they retain this to manage their employer brand. I like to help them in some way to figure out how to start putting it in the right direction, especially if we're going to recruit for you, because we find it so much easier to recruit and get the right person when we have a good employer brand in place. But nonetheless, whether or not you would like to use our services or not, take me up on my free employer brand audit. I'm going to go ahead and audit your online presence, your competitors' online presence, and compare and give a few suggestions on how to improve your image to uh to the marketplace as as candidates are perceiving it so you can visit my website del-trust.com well we'll get that into the uh we'll get that into the show notes for everyone but um jack thanks again uh this has been awesome conversation it's always good to see the other side of the coin and the truth is you need both of them to grow so appreciate you coming on again for everybody else i'll see you guys next tuesday at 8 a.m eastern on the law firm growth podcast thank you for listening to the law firm growth podcast for show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.